Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hi, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our study in the book of Exodus, and we're in Exodus chapter 1. Let's pray before we begin. Father, again, we present ourselves before you. Lord, you are the matchless one. You are the one that we love. And Lord, you've told us that in this adventure called life, in this journey on earth, that we are, Lord, to learn from you. We are to learn, Lord, from the examples that you have handed down to us in this wonderful book. And as we come, Lord, to the book of Exodus, we pray that we might learn from God, from the examples that you have written down for us to teach us. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So please follow along here as I read now in Exodus chapter one, verses six through 11. And Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Now, in our last study, we looked at what it meant for poor Jacob to enter into Egypt with his poor family. He entered into a land which he saw before his eyes when the rain started again, became a rich, fertile country. Food was given to him from off the land after the rains came and before the rains during the famine as it continued to last, Food was provided to him by Joseph. He was their savior, Joseph was. We looked at what it meant for the family when the words of verse six came. Joseph died. And we saw how Joseph died, but God didn't die. And that was emphasized to us in verse six and verse seven as we read it together because when you look at it together, it says, and Joseph died, 
And lest you should think that that was the end, we keep reading, and Joseph died and all his brethren in that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. And as we saw in our last study, it was so easy for them to have latched onto and over-relied on Joseph, or anyone for that matter, other than God. And that we saw how that's the tendency of our hearts as well. And when we put these verses together, they show us, they show us the truth of a great hymn, Jesus Engrave It on My Heart. It so perfectly expresses what we need to learn through life. Jesus, engrave it on my heart, that thou the one thing needful art. I could from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus, engrave it on my heart that thou the one thing needful art. I could from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. Put this song into the context of the Exodus here. I could from Joseph parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. But verse six tells us that they were parted from Joseph when he died. And immediately after the verse, we learn that there was a great blessing on the people and they became fruitful over the years, or hundreds of years, and they were increasing abundantly, and they multiplied, and they became the nation of the millions. And that's what we have today. The Jewish people is a nation of millions. It says there that in Egypt, the land was filled with them. Why? It was never about Joseph. It was never all about Joseph. It was always, and it always will be, all about God. And in our lives, it's never about this person or that person. It, it has been, it always will be all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we read in verse eight that a new king, as it says, a new king. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, knew not Joseph. That's the description of this king here. He is a king that the Bible says is one that can be characterized by those words, he didn't know Joseph. That was the most important thing we need to know about this king. He was a king that didn't know Joseph. Now, how could that be? How in the world could there be a king that knew not Joseph? How's that possible? Joseph was the most important prime minister that Egypt ever had. Apart from Joseph, there never was in Egypt a pharaoh that had such a troubling dream that involved the potential destruction of the whole land of Egypt, and none of Pharaoh's magicians were able to interpret the dream apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a person in Egypt taken from prison who accurately interpreted Pharaoh's all-important dream, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a person in Egypt taken from prison, and then advanced to be the prime minister, the second most powerful man in Egypt, which was the most powerful country in the world at that time, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a non-Egyptian with so much power that he was second only to Pharaoh, 
apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who Pharaoh proclaimed to be, quoting from Genesis 41:40, thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who Pharaoh said in Genesis 41:40, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who it says in Genesis 41, 42, that Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who Pharaoh assigned to all the Egyptians to bow down to because he put criers in front of Joseph's chariot that yelled out, quote, bow the knee. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister that Pharaoh said the words that we find in Genesis 41, 44, without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there never was a prime minister who over a seven-year period built many expansive storehouses over every region in Egypt and orchestrated over those seven years the most massive food storage campaign for Pharaoh that Egypt has ever known, apart from Joseph. Apart from Joseph, there was never a prime minister who saved the country from starvation for seven years by selling the food that he had amassed during the previous seven years, apart from Joseph. There was never a ruler in Egypt who purchased for Pharaoh with the food he had stored all the land of Egypt, all the cattle in Egypt, and all the people in Egypt to serve Pharaoh, apart from Joseph. With all those important events and the dramatic rescue of Egypt from starvation and the transfer of all the land of Egypt, all the possessions, all the people of Egypt to Pharaoh. And all this was done by one person, Joseph. How could there be a king that knew not Joseph? How was that possible? You could argue that Joseph was the most important person in all of Egypt's history. And the Egyptians were famous for recording their history. Murals, we still look at them today, of their recorded history. Hieroglyphic language of their recorded history. And what Joseph did in saving Egypt from starvation and the whole country from annihilation and overrunning by their enemies was the most important part of Egypt's histories. So how could there be a king which knew not Joseph? You know, when Anwar Sadat came to Israel to meet Menachem Begin during the peace process, he said, he told Menachem Begin, he told the people of Israel that there is no record in Egyptian history of Joseph or the Jewish people ever having been in Egypt. When Anwar Sadat gave an interview to Walter Cronkite in the 1970s, and they sat 
in Anwar Sadat's summer house in front of the Great Pyramids. And there on the patio, when Walter Cronkite asked Anwar Sadat, what do you think about the fact that the pyramids were built by slave labor? Anwar Sadat said, there is no record of that in Egyptian history. I don't believe it because there's no record. There are, interesting, a large gap in recorded Egyptian history, period of time in which there's a gap recorded, uh, there's a gap in the Egyptian history. Here's the question. Why is there no record of Jewish people having been in Egypt? And how is it that there could be a king that arose in Egypt that knew not Joseph? There's only one explanation. There's only one explanation. The history of Joseph in Egypt being as it is a very embarrassing history for the Egyptian people. Why? The history of the Egyptian pharaoh making a non-Egyptian Hebrew who was a, of a despised people, the most powerful man in Egypt, that's embarrassing for the Egyptian people. The history of all the Egyptian people being forced to bow down to Joseph, one of the despised Jewish people, that's an embarrassing part of Egyptian history. The history of all the Egyptian people not being able to lift a hand, not being able to lift a foot without the permission of a certain Hebrew named Joseph, that's an embarrassing part of Egyptian history for the Egyptian people. Many pharaohs had reigned and died until this pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph. Before this pharaoh who knew not Joseph, it was undoubtedly decided by some pharaoh to expunge, to erase, to take away this embarrassing part of Egyptian history about being ruled by a non-Egyptian despised Hebrew. And so effective was this expungement or this removal of this period of history and this gap now in Egyptian history that now, as we read in Exodus 1, there could actually be a king that arose, a pharaoh that arose, a new king that arose that knew not Joseph. He knew nothing about how a Hebrew had saved his country. He knew nothing about the history of Joseph's people or the history of the Hebrew people in his land of Egypt. And that's why we have archaeologists today who find these mysterious gaps in Egyptian recorded history. And you know, if you tell a lie long enough, it's accepted as truth. That's very similar today to Ahmadinejad's statements in Iran that the Holocaust never occurred. In Iran today, that part of the Jewish history of the Holocaust has been expunged from history books. It's been removed. It's been erased. This happens today. It's called historical revisionism. It's called rewriting history. In Lithuania, where my people come from, before the Nazis invaded in uh, Lithuania, about 25% of the population in Lithuania was Jewish. 
including my ancestors. And the majority of the Jewish population was killed. History tells us the majority of the 25% of the Jewish population, the the 25% of the Lithuanian population, the Jewish population in Lithuania was killed by Lithuanians. This is an inconvenient truth, not by the Nazis, but by Lithuanians. So the textbooks in Lithuania have omitted this history. They've rewritten it and said that the Nazis killed the Jewish people. This is rewriting history. Now, what was the consequence of this king that arose that knew not Joseph? Keep this in mind that the most important thing about this king is that we're told that he knew not Joseph. This was the new king that arose that knew not Joseph. So color this king, the king that knew not Joseph. Put a title on him, the king that knew not Joseph. And so in verse eight, we have the title, the king that knew not Joseph. The next question is, what's the consequence of that? First thing we read that this new king did who knew not Joseph is in verses nine and 10. And it reads like this. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. See the pattern? He's the king that knew not Joseph. And so he becomes the persecutor of the people of Joseph, the Jewish people. There is a tie between that phrase, the king that knew not Joseph, and the subsequent persecution, hatred of the Jewish people. And it's seen also a little bit later on because it's the same we read about in Exodus 5 when Moses goes in to Pharaoh And in Exodus 5, verses 1 and 2, it reads like this. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. See, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Now, Pharaoh, when he hears this message from Moses, he hears two things loud and clear, very distinctly. What are they? The Lord God of Israel. That's the first thing he hears. And the second thing he hears is my people. Now, how does Pharaoh reply? He replies to Moses to the first statement, which was the Lord God of Israel, and he says, Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. So he says, I don't know him. Then as a consequence of not knowing him, Pharaoh says, goes on to say, neither will I let Israel go. Neither will I let his people go. I don't know him, and I'm not gonna let his people go. Now, we look at verses eight through 10 of Exodus 1, Exodus 1, eight through 10, and it's very revealing as we read it like this. A new king king arose over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, and he said unto the people, behold, the people are uh, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. And we remember from Exodus 5, 2, I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. What do those statements all reveal? They reveal that the source of anti-Semitism 
or hatred of the Jewish people is this problem of they knew not. There arose a new king which knew not, Joseph. The Pharaoh said, I know not the Lord. The source of anti-Semitism is, I know not the Lord. Show me a person who really loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll show you a person who loves the Jewish people. There's one chapter in Paul's writings where Paul comes into a deep, deep nearness to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes into this deep, deep nearness or closeness to the knowledge of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. And that's Romans chapter eight. And in the final verses of that Romans chapter eight, Paul says in Romans 8, 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, with these words, has just risen to the pinnacle, to the height of knowing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then do you know what he wrote right after those words? Right with that thought, crystal clear in his mind, We overlook what he wrote because there's an artificial chapter break there, chapter eight, chapter nine. That wasn't in the original. So when you read it all together, let's read it together. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What's just happened? Paul has gone from the height of knowing the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you would expect the very next thing that Paul is gonna say was gonna be how happy he is, but instead, Paul goes from talking about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ into saying that he has a great heaviness, a great continual sorrow in his heart. In fact, he's so heavy, he's so sorrowful that he say, you know what, I'm ready to be cursed from God, I'm ready to forever be cast into hell if the Jewish people, my people, if Israel, if they could just be saved. What's this showing us? It's showing us that to know the Lord Jesus Christ is to love the Jewish people. The source of anti-Semitism is not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Friday, November 23rd, 2012. Fans for the English Tottenham soccer team are in Rome in a downtown bar. Tottenham is a very Jewish area of London. Suddenly, 
an attacking mob chanting, Jews, 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 enters the bar with knives and baseball bats and hurts the people. Rome is shocked with the new rise of anti-Semitism. The mayor of Rome announces the city is going to spend $27 million to build a Holocaust museum on the ground of Mussolini's former villa. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 